All right, Mark 10, beginning in verse 13. All right, well, let us give our attention to God's perfect word. Mark 10, 13, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on him, on them. And as he was setting out on, a, on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. That completes our reading of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to another difficult passage, but it's one that you mean for our good. You love us, and you've given it to us as a good gift. I pray that you would help me preach it, exactly what's here, and you would help their hearts. You'd prepare the soil of their hearts for your word, that it would do them good. And we pray now in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, kids, I have an idea for you. All right, I want you to imagine that in your pocket you have a $1 bill, okay? A $1 bill. If you will give me your $1 bill, tomorrow I'll give you $100. All right, does that sound like a good deal? All right, so kids, raise your hand if that sounds like a good deal to you. All right, so a few takers. And we got some mamas and dads here too. (laughs) Yeah, does that sound like a good deal? Well, don't worry, I'm not going to do that, parents, um, because you're thinking that sounds like a Ponzi scheme. And uh, if you don't know who that was, a hundred years ago, a guy named Ponzi said something almost exactly like that. He made a bunch of money and he stole it all. All right, well, adults, how about this scenario? Your friend, a number of years ago, his name is Bill Gates, said to you, I'm starting a startup company and if you will invest $100,000 in my, I think I'm going to call it Microsoft, um, if you'll invest $100,000, I'll give you 1% ownership. What do you think of that deal? 
that would actually be a pretty good deal, right? So today we're looking at the kingdom of God. Jesus speaks about money, doesn't he? And for some, they think that Jesus basically is introducing a Ponzi scheme, right? Many people look at these passages and they say, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? But I assure you, he is not. So this morning, as we encounter Jesus teaching on money, look at page seven, you see the outline. First, we'll look at this. View the world like a child. Secondly, don't view righteousness like the world. And third, don't view money like the world. All right, let's look at that first one. View the world like a child. Kids, another question for you. Do you know how Jesus feels about you? How does Jesus think about children? It says here, doesn't it? The disciples, the disciples, you weren't so important to them. They were shooing off the, the parents. They were bringing actually the literal word here in Greek for children is actually infant, right? So they're carrying, right? Your parents don't carry most of you anymore, right? But a little baby, they do. Right? So they're bringing their babies. But what did Jesus say? He said, let the children come to me. Jesus loves children. So you can know that, kids. All right, so, but look what, look what else he says. For such, adults, listen to this part. For such belongs the kingdom of God. Okay, let that, let that sink in for a second. People are bringing little babies, and Jesus says to them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. That should be surprising to you. Why? Well, because we live in America in this age, and kids are not included in many places in the kingdom of God. But Jesus, he says they are. But you say, how could they? They have not professed faith. What business do they have in the kingdom of God? Jesus says, no, no. See, let me give you a little history. In the old covenant, we had something called circumcision, right? Sign of the old covenant. And did that include kids? Absolutely. Nod your head, yes. Right, so it included the whole family in the covenant community, Abraham, his kids, all the Jews, right? All in the covenant community. Jesus shows up, and what does he say? It's right there. Verse 14. Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. What he is saying is, kids are included in the kingdom. If you miss it, look at the verse 16. It's even clearer. He took them in his arms. Okay, so here's Jesus holding a baby, and what does he do? He blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now tell me that does not sound like infant baptism. That's absolutely what we're doing, right? It is. And Jesus was doing this. The Reformation Study Bible, a good study Bible, says this on that verse. It says, to receive God's blessing, what he's doing to this baby, means to be called by God's name and to be included in the blessings of the covenant to be included in the blessings of the covenant. Many people don't look at this when they're looking at about baptism, but this absolutely is an important passage. I hope you see that. Jesus is included. So kids, you are included in the covenant. Jesus doesn't see you as second-class citizens and says, hey, one day when you profess faith, then I'll care about you. He says, no, no, let the children come to me. And he took them into his arms and he blessed them. Now, the, the, a really easy application of this you could do it right now. If you didn't already, get rid of your Connect card. There's a box on there that says Hope Kids. Jesus cares about kids, and right now, a bunch of your kids are down the hall there. We are so thankful that God's given us so many kids. If you are able-bodied and you are not volunteering in kids' ministry, may I encourage you, on behalf of all the volunteers that are, that are understaffed in there, and Kim who makes the schedule, we, we need more help. Jesus says, do not hinder the children, so please volunteer and help. Easy application. That was a no-brainer. Okay, for all you literary people, do you know the word foil? 
So when, when you're reading a book and you have characters, you might have said this in school. You have the foil, so you have, <clears throat> sorry, that's my microphone. We'll make sure it's screwed in all the way. All right, hopefully it doesn't do that the whole time. We'll be using this microphone in a minute. Okay, the foil. All right, we're going to have two characters in our passage. The second is going to be the rich young ruler. The contrast, the foil for that, is who? The babies. All right, Jesus says, if you want, look at verse 15. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, there's many things about children, aren't there? Is Jesus saying we should start sucking our thumb again? Maybe baby talking. Uh, No? What attributes of young children is Jesus holding up here? Well, let me give you some ideas. Well, first let me tell you how strange this is. Um, For you older, what if I said for teenagers, if I told you, looking for any teenagers here, I see at least one. What if I told you if you want to get in a good college, be, act like a little kid? That would be kind of weird, right? What if I said um, if you want to get a good job, act like a little kid? If you want to get into the kingdom of God, act like a child. Isn't it? It's weird, isn't it? I think there's several attributes of young children. One is, is they don't try, particularly young babies, they're not trying to impress anyone. They're not trying to present like, hey, look, I've got it all together. Though they don't have it all together, and they're very aware of that, and they, don't, they aren't worried about that. Right? But so many of us, when we come to Jesus, we come, and you'll see this in contrast when we look at the rich young ruler. He thinks he has it all together, but not this baby, right? Babies, do they think that they're um, self-sufficient, self-reliant? What do you guys think over there? Self-reliant? Absolutely not, right? For all, we have several families with newborn babies. They are not in denial of their neediness and helplessness. What about you? Are you in denial of your helplessness and your neediness before God? Many people are. And so Jesus is saying, no, be like a child. Okay, let's move to our second section, to our guy who is in denial and is self-deceived. So secondly, don't view, the, don't view righteousness like the world. Okay, this guy here, rich young ruler, quintessential guy that has it all together. I mean, he checks every box. He's young, he's rich, he has a great job, right? And then how does he approach Jesus? He runs up and he falls on his knees before Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Now tell me that doesn't sound good, right? He's humbling himself, he's showing respect. I mean, how would you respond? What would you tell him? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, Pray the sinner's prayer maybe, right? What does Jesus do? I love Jesus. He sees right through people all the time. He rebukes the guy, doesn't he? Look at what he says. Where is it there? He says, why do you call me good? I'm going to find it, but it is in here. Uh, 17 maybe? 18. All right, thanks, help from the... All right, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now that's just funny, isn't it? I mean, he's, he is good, but here's the thing. The guy's calling him good teacher. But see, Jesus is much more than a good teacher. If you think Jesus is a good teacher, you're missing out. He is the son of God. He is God, and so this guy doesn't really see who he is. He just says, you're like a rabbi, you're a good teacher. Hey, could you help me? I just want to know how to get into eternal life. And so then Jesus says, look how he goes on. He says, you know the commandments? Now, which of the Ten Commandments does he say? If you don't know, don't worry. Next year, we're going to learn them all together. It's going to be great. Knowing the Ten Commandments is incredibly helpful to life. All right, so he says, do not murder, 
do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Didn't Jesus leave out a few? He left out the first four. Well, that's interesting. He did all the horizontal ones, all the ones related to other people. Now, we're going to see in a second why he did that, why he left out the ones about God. But then look at the guy's answer. Look at verse 20. Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, that is a ridiculous reply. You should never read the Ten Commandments and say, nailed that, right? Right, we can't. I mean, okay, so if, if you didn't catch that, let me explain. Jesus said the Sermon on the Mount says, if you get angry in your heart, have you ever gotten angry in your heart? He says, if you have, you've committed murder. You're guilty of murder. He says, if you've ever looked lustfully at a woman, you're guilty of adultery. Okay, you get it, don't you? The Ten Commandments are not just about actions, they're about our heart. And so we're all guilty. We've broken all of them. We break them all the time. This guy did not get that. He says, I've obeyed all of them since I was a kid. You see our foil? Remember, young babies. They don't present and say, I've got it all together. They're not in denial of their neediness. This guy is, right? Then look at what Jesus says. But look at, look at Jesus' heart. Look, verse 20, 21. He says, looking at him. How did he feel about him? He loved him. Jesus looked him square in the eyes, and he loved him. And then he says, so whatever Jesus is about to say, it's loving. He says, you lack one thing. And look at this, what he says. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. That's quite an ask, huh? And how does he respond? Disheartened. He goes away sad because he had great possessions. This is a really sad thing. You realize what's happening. He comes to Jesus and he says, I want eternal life. Jesus says, okay, sell all your stuff and you have eternal life. He says, nope, I would rather spend eternity in hell. That was an interesting effect. Eternity in hell and and keep my stuff. Man, what a lousy choice. Really? You're just going to keep your stuff for like 50 years, 60 years, and then you're going to spend eternity separate from God? What Jesus was doing was he was putting his thumb right on the guy's problem, wasn't he? It was his idolatry. Now, Jesus will do this other times. This was not a command to everyone. There are other rich people that Jesus didn't say this to. Remember the woman at the well? We we looked at that a long time ago. What did Jesus point out? It was her sexuality. That was her idol. He said, you've had five husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband. He put his finger right on her deal. Right? Jesus is really good at that. Right? Because we want to obey a bunch of surface commands. And we think we're going to get into heaven by this. And he says, no. What is your Lord? Now, I've had this happen multiple times. I've shared the gospel with people. And I get to the end. I, I, my favorite is the little bridge illustration, right? So you got the two cliffs. There's the bridge. It's Jesus. They're like, yeah, I get all that. I've even asked them, are you interested in this? Is there any reason you wouldn't want this? And they say, no, no, yeah. You know what I do? Now, what you think I might do is say, let's pray. I I stop there and I say, we need to talk about something. I talk about lordship. I talk about, hey, basically Jesus, if you do this, Jesus is going to want you to get out of the driver's seat of your life and let him be there. Okay? And I've had people multiple times tell me no. They're like, oh, they start backing, right? They, They change their story. Because they realize the implications of this. I want a Jesus who will pay the price for my sins. I don't want a Jesus that makes me get out of the driver's seat. All right, let me make this more poignant for you adults. Or kids. 
Um, do some of you still ride in car seats? Any young folks? Right, a car seat? So when your parents buckle you in that car seat, can you reach the steering wheel? No. Right, they're in control of the car. You can't control where it goes. Right? So adults, I want to imagine that when you become a Christian, Jesus is saying, get out of the driver's seat, and I'm going to buckle you in the back seat in an adult-sized car seat. How's that for a mental image? You are no longer running your life. That's what he said in 15, wasn't it? He said, if you want to enter heaven, you must be like a child. You must acknowledge that you are helpless and that you need a king. And your job running your own life is not going well. And you need someone else to run it. And that's exactly what he's doing with this guy. So I I, I tell you that story of what I've had multiple times because I do not want that to be your situation. I neither want you to be here and think you're saved because you keep coming to church. I want you to understand that if Jesus is just going to, you're saying, hey, I want him to pay my sins, but I do not want him to run my life. Almost certainly, you are not going to heaven. How's that for a sober comment? Jesus must be your Savior and your Lord. Those are not separatable, if that's a word. You cannot separate those, right? He, wants, he, he says, come to me. That's, what he, that's why he said to this guy, he said, you lack one thing. This is the only reason he said this. Because he would not let this man believe that he was saved and love his God. Who is his real God? What commandment did he actually break? If you don't know, you'll know next year. It's the second commandment. Have no other gods before me. His God was his money. And so God put his thumb right on it. Jesus put his thumb right on it. He said, you cannot keep this God. And so he went away sorrowful. I do not want you to go away in that same way. All right, so he's talking about money for this guy. I mean, you want to know who your God is, just look at your bank account or your credit card statement, right? We, you can learn a lot about what we value by how we spend our money. And so we see, we'll talk about that more in a minute. Don't worry, that uncomfortableness is coming. That's point three. But right now we're talking about righteousness. What I want you to see is, is that if you think you're getting into heaven by surface obedience, it's not going to work. You see that in verse 23 to 25, right? So the rich young ruler, he's long gone. Jesus ain't done. He says, I got some more to say. Look at verse 23. Now he's talking to the disciples. He says, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Disciples, they're astonished. Okay, he keeps going. He says, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some of you might have heard this crazy thing about there's this gate that's real small, and a camel has to, like, get down its knees to go through. That's not actually true. It's not historically accurate. You read any good commentary, it's going to say it's not. But somehow that got distributed through all of evangelical Christendom. So the other problem with that is this. It actually violates the very point Jesus is trying to make. He's trying to say it's impossible. You cannot get into heaven by your merit. Now you say, I didn't hear merit. He said, rich. Okay, let me tell you what the Jews think. The Jews, and this, you, you see this in the Old Testament, the Jews thought if you're wealthy, you have the favor of God. Read the book of Job. Right? All his friends said, hey, you lost your wealth. God must not be happy with you. Right? And so they view that the people in society that God has most favor on is the wealthy. So who most naturally are going to go to heaven? The wealthy. Right? Because if you, if you have God's favor in earth, you're going to have it in heaven. Okay, make sense? We don't think that way. I'm going to substitute something. All right, look at this verse and substitute nice. Who goes to heaven? The nice people. That's what many people say, right? Okay, here's, here's this verse with a few substitutes. 
it's easier for a camel. All right, kids, you know how big a camel is? Average height of a camel, where his hump is and his head is, is six to seven feet. I'm six feet. This is seven feet. Okay, that's how big it is. Have you ever looked at one of your mom's needles? The eye of his little part, the thread goes through. You know, it's so hard to get that little thread through, right? So imagine a big camel going through that little eye. This is called a hyperbole. Jesus loves to tell ridiculous things just to make a point. It is just as impossible. Okay, so read this verse. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a nice person, a nice person to enter the kingdom of God. You see the point he's making? And and the apostles get it because what do they say? Then who can be saved? I mean, I hope you realize implications. Jesus just said, nobody's going to heaven. Right? Isn't that the implication? He said, even the best of our society, the wealthy or nice, you substitute whatever you want, are not getting it here any more than you need a camel through a needle. Isn't that funny, kids? It's a crazy picture. Thankfully, Jesus isn't done, is he? Look at what he says next, verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible. It is impossible for anyone to be saved by being good. Surface obedience to commands will not get you anywhere. It is impossible. But, you got to love when Scripture says, contrast words like that, but not with God. All things are possible with God. You know what he's talking about? His death and resurrection. It is through Jesus that it becomes possible. And so, yes, now the camel has gone through the eye of the needle. All of us who are neither nice nor wealthy are going to heaven because of Jesus. Do you see this? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, by anyone's merit. So do not view righteousness like the world. Our world thinks if you're wealthy, if you're nice, if you're good, if you help little old ladies cross the street, then you're going to heaven. And it ain't true. Scripture clearly is saying this. Jesus wants, to, wants you to get this point, And I want you to too. All right, there's more for him to say. So for this man, what was it? It was money, right? But, and for the woman at the well, it was her sexuality. What is it for you? Now, I'm, I'm speaking both. If you are not a Christian this morning, I'm definitely speaking to you. And I don't know who you are. I can't see your hearts. For all of you who are Christians, I'm also talking to you. So now I'm talking to everybody. God is in the business your whole Christian life. He will continue to say, I want to be Lord of that. This part of your life, you're trying to control, and I want control of it. And a few years later, he'll pick something else. He's kind. He doesn't do it all at once. But that's been my experience. Has it not been your experience? That through your life, you see over, and you, you just, you get a sense. So this morning, I want you to consider right now, what is it in your life that God wants control of? That you are in control of? Kids, it applies to you too. What part of your life? Is it how much time you play video games? Is it how much time adults, how much time you spend on entertainment? It's not just kids, right? Is it our sexuality? Is it your money? Is it how you spend your free time? Is it how you spend your Sundays? There's lots of options. John Calvin said that the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Like we think it's our job to make idols. We, there's more options of idols. There's a bunch in Cane Bay. You look at the Facebook page. People just list out. They just say, hey, look, here's my idol. You want to see a picture of it? It looks really cool, does it? Right? You didn't know that's why they're posting things. It's true, is it not? Now, some of you are worried. If you let Jesus take over, he's going to take away all your fun. Don't people think that? 
I mean, some of you are fearing this even as I talk. You're like, if I were to actually give Jesus control, he would take away all the good stuff. That is not true. That is a lie from the pit of hell. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, this is Jesus speaking, that you may have life and have it to the full. Do you not know that God made the entire world? He made every pleasurable thing. He intends for your life to be full and rich. Satan is the one that wants to destroy it. He wants you to give your soul to things that will not give you life. All the men in the the Thursday morning study know, um, what is it? Uh, Jeremiah 2.13, right? I won't ask any of you to quote it, but it says, um, let's see if I know it. Um, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You see, the world lies to us and says, and lied to this guy. He said, if you give your heart to your money, you will be happy. What a terrible, terrible decision. When God wanted to give him, wanted to actually set him free. His, his money was controlling him, had a control on his life, and God wanted, Jesus wanted to break him free from that. Oh, that we'd listen to that. All right, more briefly, let's look at our third point. It's gonna get closer to home. Don't view money like the world. So look again at verse 23 to 25. But now look at the money aspect. How difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Then he goes on, he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why is money, think about this, why is money so dangerous for our souls? Why is money? I mean, he, Jesus is really pulling that out, right, about money. What is it about money? I have some ideas. I think one is, is that we have this, this idea of, of independence, right? You have security and safety. Um, you can buy things that you want. When you want it, you can buy it, right? And, and wealth gives it. Poor people don't have that problem, right? They can't afford it, and so they, don't, they aren't tempted to, to get whatever they want. There are other things. What other things? What is it about money that makes it so dangerous to our souls? Think about that. It's important. So look at verse 28. In contrast, so the rich young ruler went away sad. Look at what Peter says. He says, see, we have left everything and followed you. You see, the apostles, they had, they had um, counted the cost and said, yep, we're going to leave our boats, leave our business, leave whatever, and we're going to choose Jesus. And then look what Jesus says in these last verses. He says, no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel will not receive a hundredfold. Kids, you remember what I said? Trade your one dollar. How many would I give you back tomorrow? You can say it. A hundred. What did Jesus say right here? A hundredfold. That's what it means. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. You see, for someone, say, if you're in Afghanistan, you read this. If you become a Christian, it is going to cost you your mother, your father, your siblings, your house, your job probably, right? But you come in and you become a Christian, and now, who are your mothers and brothers? Jesus said this. It is those who love. So I have all you as my mothers and brothers and sisters, right? Don't we have each other as family? And if you don't have a house, if you got kicked out of your house for Christ, you could come into any of our houses, right? You have many houses, right? Some people read this as prosperity gospel. Man, they just don't get it. 
what they miss is heaven. They're trying to put heaven onto earth. No, did you read Jesus' life? <laughs> right? Jesus' life, he led by example, right? Last week, Brandon said, Jesus led from the front, not from the back. Right? Jesus had a life of humility and poor, he was poor. And then he said, then he was exalted. That is what the Christian life is to be. Right? Remember, we read that in, in chapter 8. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. You see, some of this God forces upon us. He saves you from loving this world by letting you get sick, by letting you lose your job, by letting there be death, by letting there be car accidents, right? And in those things, you are forced to realize this world is not what it should be. And so you long for something else, right? It's forced upon you. But then other things, this passage, what God is calling you to in this passage is something that you choose. That man had a choice, didn't he? The rich young ruler had a choice. He said, I can either choose to have eternal life or choose to keep my wealth. What we're talking about here, this is one of the reasons that many people don't tithe. Did you know that? They don't tithe, which I know is, is a very personal topic, but they don't do that because, so tithe is just a word that means 10%. You see in the Old Testament, Jesus said it. He said, um, let's see if I can find my notes will cooperate with me. Oh, Luke uh, eleven forty two. he said, but what are the Pharisees? You tithe, which means 10% of your mint, your rue, and every herb, but you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done, you ought to have tithed, without neglecting justice and the love of God. So Jesus holds up in the New Testament, we're still to tithe. Right now to the rich young ruler, he said, no, no, I want all of it because it had such a hold on him. He said 10% wouldn't do to break him free. Right? Many people don't tithe because it is their God. Right? Money? See, we aren't in Afghanistan. We think we can be a Christian and keep our reputation, our, all our money. We spend all on ourselves. And our whole, we're, we're our own God. Right? And so, there's, so it says that. Then it says in um, Proverbs 3, 9, honor God from your wealth, the first fruits of your produce. Now, I don't like talking about money. Last time I got to talk, you remember the last time I preached about divorce and marriage? That was an easy topic. This time we're talking about money. This is why we preach the Bible. It forces my hand to preach stuff that we wouldn't preach on. Jesus talked a lot about money. You know why? Because it has such a hold on us. And I don't want you for it to have such a hold on you. Last night I spent several hours writing letters. You know what I was writing them to? To lots of friends and family that have been funding this church. They're what's make it possible for us to be here. So right now, 44% of the church budget comes from you guys. The rest of it comes from other people that have never been to our church. I'm so thankful for them. I've asked them, hey, can you stick on another year? Because we need to get this church to 100% so that we're actually internally funded. But I, I actually want to challenge you. I, I asked all of them. I challenge you for your own sake. Do not live for your money. Some of you give generously. And I just want to remind you, those that do, that God sees what you do in secret and he will richly reward you. And it's, it's such a protection. I have the benefit, my parents, when I was a little kid, they gave me an allowance. And they said, one of those $10 goes to Jesus. I said, okay, because I'm a little kid and I don't love my money like I do now. Right? And I just, I learned that. Some of you didn't have that benefit. It is really hard as an adult to realize, you probably never even, some of you never even heard the term tithe. I'm sorry that your parents didn't do it when you were little. It's a lot harder now. Everything's harder now. This is the way lordship works. If it's true of your sexuality, if it's true of anything. And so my encouragement to you is whatever, when I asked you earlier, what is your lordship thing? Don't wait. It's only going to get harder. 
If you've been in the driver's seat for three decades, it's only going to be harder at six decades to say, oh, I'm going to relinquish control of whether it's your money, your sexuality, your time, your entertainment, whatever. Isn't that true? If you've been following Christ a long time, doesn't it get harder as you get older? It does. That's been my experience. And so I'm being honest with you. Jesus wanted to talk about money a lot because he did not want you to serve it and it to own you because he will give you all that you need. You are a child and your heavenly father will take care of all your needs. And he has a huge inheritance for you. It is no Ponzi scheme. It's better than one for $100 or 1% of Microsoft. Adults, does Jesus not promise over and over again to richly, abundantly bless you in the life to come? This is the life for you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. There's many areas of life. This one particularly is focusing on his money. That might be yours, it might not be, but there's something in your life that God wants control of. And it will, there's a huge freedom when you release it. Well, you do not want God to have to teach you by ripping things out of your hands, right? By death, sickness, right? We have those things. And I, and I do too. My sicknesses are a great tutor to me. I don't like them at all. But God also gives us things that he wants control of. And so both. So respond in the things that are forced upon you and also in the things that he's asked of you. And so, in just a second, I'm going to pray and close our service. In it, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. Don't worry, no altar call. Um, I'm going to give a moment of silence, and I want you, whatever you came up with, to make a decision if you will sacrifice, if you will give God control of that. You'll get out of the driver's seat and let him strap you in the back in that big old car seat. All right? So in the middle of that prayer, I want you to do that, if you're ready. And I want, if if you aren't, then do it later today. But God is in the business whether, and this might come with salvation. This is how people become Christians. There's something it did for him, this guy, but he didn't actually take the opportunity, did he? He left sad. Don't leave sad today. Let go of whatever is, has control of your life, and God will richly bless you, not only in this life, but the life to come. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, and uh, Lord, I just pray that you would give us both insight um, into our own hearts, those things that control us, that are our gods, um, Lord, I pray that you would help us release and let go of, that you would have control of them and that we could live more free lives, not controlled by them. Father, I now and we all now pray silently about this. Father, you heard those silent prayers. Lord, I pray that you would now give them courage to act on those. And moment by moment, to surrender that area of their life. For Lord, we want to be, for you to be our king. We want to open our hands and trust you. Lord, please help us. Be like little children, what every little child knows, that they are helpless and needy. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.